Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Hello, this is World Insight with me, Tian Wei. This year's National Pavilion at the 6th China International Import Expo includes a wide range of countries, big and small, from the least developed to highly industrialized economies. How are these events helping countries to work together in a fairer global trade system, especially the least developed economies? And how can China help to create such opportunities? I talked to Pamela Cole-Hamilton, the executive director of the International Trade Center. From the Chinese side, there's a continued commitment to opening up and also for mutual interest through trade. First of all, through this CIIE, it has done two very important things. It has signaled the continuing willingness of China to be open, open to trade. This is the biggest import trade show, and it's unique. It's unique in the sense that there are not many countries that actually do trade shows for imports. And I think that is a phenomenal step, both for developing countries and for China's relationship with developing countries. And the second thing that's very important is what it signals for South-South trade, that China stands ready to welcome more imports from developing countries, but also encourage investment, encourage dialogue, encourage trade and especially for the least developed countries. So how is that likely to help your work, which is to support the least developed economies in the world? It's so critical to recognize how important China is for the least developed countries. 25% of the exports from least developed countries come to China. That's one quarter of their entire exports, which means that it does several things. It provides a marketplace for the LDCs that isn't readily available elsewhere. The second thing it does is it increases their ability to diversify their markets because most have also been commodity dependent developing countries. And as a result, they've been locked into some terms of trade which have necessarily worked for them. What this does is it allows them to diversify their markets, diversify their product base, enable them also to engage in innovation, to attract new investment, to, to develop new connections, and also to grow. And, and that's what makes it so important for LDCs. We see more interaction between China and the United States in recent months. And leading up to the APEC economic leaders meeting, there are a tremendous expectation that these powers should work together. What about your expectations? Well, my hope, <laughs> I don't know if that's the expectations, but it's my hope that both sides, I think it's now fully understood and agreed that China and the U.S. are both sides of the same coin, that they work symbiotically, that one success is the other success. When we came in, we were picked up in a Cadillac, made in China. <laughs> now, you can't get more American in terms of symbolism, but it is made in China. And that goes to show how important the partnership is and the fact that both sides benefit from a strong trade agreement and trade arrangement. What about for least developed economies? Well, for least developed economies, what has been very clear from the beginning is that most of them have been commodity dependent developing countries for so long. What we're trying to do is to work with them to increase investment in value addition so that they no longer export just the raw primary commodities. They actually begin to move up the value chain. They begin to increase their ability to export, say, for example, instead of the, the pure cobalt or the pure mineral, they will be able to make widgets 
which are intermediate goods, which then come into, say, the electric battery. And the thing with China is China's import uh, fair, this, this, this whole expo, is so important because 50% of the world's exports are all actually intermediate goods. And so if we can get the LDCs to move up the value chain, to engage in value addition, then that also encourages their growth and also is an input to China's economy. So you are suggesting that both China and United States should make gestures and actions yes. to make this happen, and they need to do it in partnership. It would be great, yes. <laughs> How do you see the trade discussion going in parallel with the climate discussion as we are also heading for a COP28? Well, what's really interesting is that for the very first time at COP28, there's going to be a trade house. And that trade house will house uh, the WTO, UNCTAD, ITC and the ICC, which is the International uh, Chambers of Commerce. And for the first time, we're going to present a unified front on the trade issues as they impact climate change and as climate change impacts trade. And we think that this is really groundbreaking because for the first time, there's a confluence of the two issues. As you said, you are saying they're parallel. Now, they're actually meeting which is a very, very powerful symbolic step that says we have to address both these issues in tandem. We can't keep talking at parallel points. Both have to be talked about together. How does climate change impact trade and how can trade be one of the solutions to climate change? So now this is crucial because the Secretary General, I remember, of the United Nations has been said, this is though the most fragmented time we have seen in decades, but this is the time that we have to work together the most urgently over the past decades. So how do you see the least developing countries are helping themselves? Well, how do you see this South-South cooperation is likely to facilitate the voices of these developing countries and the developing countries as a whole? Well, the South-South cooperation angle is really important because China as an exponentially large developing country is able to be a leader in the space. It provides technology. One of the good things about it is that it also provides information. Information for trade is one of the most critical areas. And so many countries, especially LDCs, have said, we don't have enough information. And so through that, we have actually had a global trade help desk, which is ITC, UNCTAD, WTO, creating a platform which actually was um, agreed to by the G20 in this last meeting to be enhanced because it is such an important player in enabling LDCs to access markets. But the other areas that we have been working on is the green transition. How do we help? LDCs and other developing countries to make the green transition, to work with businesses to do climate smart agriculture, to um, look at recycling, look at their, their water management systems, look at solar energy or alternative energy to lower their production costs. These are all aspects that we're looking at. And then finally on digitalization, we have found that the biggest challenge for many companies is that they do not know how to use the digital framework for business. They know it personally, you know, they can send WeChat and so on. But when it comes to being able to utilize it for e-commerce, we've been doing training for them. We've been putting them on platforms. Alibaba, we have a partnership with Alibaba, and then we just signed another partnership with Google, um, ICC, and ASEAN 
to help train them on how to utilize uh, these platforms to increase their economic development, but also their, their exports. Those are terrific news. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Some excited. of the case studies and uh, examples could uh, be spread. Yes, precisely. Mm -hmm. They become, if we can have success, we're looking at a thousand companies in the ASEAN group. And if we can use these as pilots, mm -hmm. then we can utilize those examples on, to show how this can work and how it has worked for other companies. Mm -hmm. And this would be a great experiment in a way to, to use as a, a platform to enhance our ability to help others. Right. At the time when there's tremendous change, we see different groupings of countries and economies. And of course, you are supporting the least developed economies, but among them, there are also different interest groups. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how do you, uh, from your perspective, see these different groupings coming out? How to facilitate that their voice is being heard but at the same time, the voices can also be linked mm -hmm. to the global governance system yes. that are in transition right now. The world, I, I think, in the last century, this is the most fragmented and most multipolar world we've seen in a, in a very long time. You know, there's the whole nearshoring and friendshoring and reshoring, and, you know. And the list that goes <laughs> yes, on. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and it's what I call strategic reglobalization which is that the, the various nodes and power bases are shifting. It's like tectonic plates. And so eventually they will settle, but they're now trying to find their new normal. And, that's, and frankly, that's completely normal. This is, you know, it, it's not unique. It is just that this is a period we're in and everybody's shifting. The developing countries, in my view, are what I call the canary in the coal mine. They're the ones who are going to signal that something is wrong. And when they signal that something is wrong, it's incumbent on the rest of the world to hear and to understand and to begin to readjust the international system to address those issues. The issues of debt, the issues of climate change, the issues of an unjust green transition and the barriers that will come about, say, with new regulations. Um, the issues related to digital divide. The fact that so many, three billion people are still unconnected. So we can't talk about e-commerce if people are, are not connected. It's simple. So it's really important that we use this opportunity for the voice of these developing countries to be heard and to be translated into change, into looking at the international financial architecture right. and understanding why it hasn't worked and why development has been so uneven. Right and then looking at what are the solutions that we can come up with. How can we make this better? How can we adjust the international trading rules and system to actually create a more just society? That's Pamela Coke Hamilton, the executive director of ITC. This is World Insight with me, Tianwei. Coming up, interactions between China and the United States increase at government level. That's good news for U.S. farmers who have always been believing in cooperation between China and the United States, whether it is sunny or rainy days. My interview with the U.S. Grains Council, next. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. 
Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Welcome back. This is World Insight. I'm Tian Wei. Manuel, Brent, Harry, what a ceremony you got over there! Yeah. What was going through your mind at that time? You know, for me, this is a culmination of many, many months of work. So it gives me a sense of pride that、uh, the work that we're doing here is meaningful. Harry, I saw you were signing the document. Yes. Almost the same motion with your Chinese counterpart.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> That really shows the kind of cooperation spirit you guys have. CFNA has been a good partner with us, but this MOU is going to take it to a new level. The cooperation between U.S. Grain Council and CFNA, and it's it's part of the overall U.S.-China relationship when it comes to agricultural trade and trying to continue to take that to the next level. Tell me more about. How behind the scenes all these preparations were done? That would definitely be Manny and Carrie and the staff here.、Mm-hmm. I, like you said, I, I just got to stand behind and, <laughs> and smile at the incredible work that they've done. But I know the staff has worked hard on they work hard on the MOUs, getting everything done. They work hard、um, working on shows here. But I'll let Manny and Carrie talk more about that. Carrie, I start from you in Washington. You are based. That's、uh, where your work is. Yes, but and and. The U.S. Grain Council has been here in China since 1982, so 41 years. So this is this is not just something that's happened in the last few months. This is long, you know, decades of of commitment by the U.S. Grain Council and our members, our agricultural business members, our farmer members,、uh, to have an office. And your and, Chinese counterparts. And our Chinese counterparts, yeah. And so,、mm-hmm. and we're we're super excited to have Manuel Sanchez, our China director here, is our you know has been here for. Little over、uh, a little over a year now, and so、uh, having him on the ground and the rest of our Beijing staff to keep those relationships that we built over decades to keep them going and to, to continue that bilateral trade benefit between the two countries. You know, when it is raining, it's very difficult to stick to the earlier friendship and still make sure it blossoms. Even though it could be quietly behind the scenes, how to make that happen? How have you been working on that? You no, know, without a doubt, we have seen challenging times, and I think it's important to acknowledge that the, you know there's been some challenging times. But in any relationship, whether that's personal relationship or business relationships, there are highs and lows. The idea is that we still have to communicate, and there's no greater example of that than what's happening here. Right? It's it's being able to travel from other countries, be here in China, enjoy the hot pot. Really enjoy <laughs> that Chinese. You keep going back to the hot pot <laughs> because because food unites us. Indeed, indeed. Chinese culture is a beautiful culture, and I wish more people had the opportunity to come and enjoy it. I've only been here for 14 months, but I got to tell you, I am amazed of how rich in culture、um, China is,、right. and.、Um, We specifically spoke about what it took to plan this. You know, we've been working at this now for ten months. So, you know, January was when the idea. January of 2023 was when the idea was planted, and、um, this was a, a cooperation. We didn't do this by ourselves.、Yeah. Our partners, our sister organization, the U.S. Soybean Export Council, was a, a, a pivotal partner here,、right. and, and they they sort of had planted the seed. And with their support, our support, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture,、um, we were able to get this going. And、right. our delegation formed parts of 
forms part of a wider delegation. Indeed. Representing 11 associations that are here in China to say, we support our customers, our number one customers, we're here, we stand with you. You talk about 10 months ago. If I remember right, 10 months ago was the great time. Nobody knows where things are moving. So when you do not have certainty, you have to plan on so many different areas. So that's what I'm really intellectually curious about. How did you guys try to stick to what you still believe in, while at the same time do not know the definite answer? It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But like our farmers and our leaders 41 years ago believed in China, I still and will continue to believe in China, even through the tough times. I think my experience and what we're dealing with today is challenging. But it was during this trip that I reflected back. You know, in 1982, it was a really tough time for farmers in America. The economy in rural America was very challenging. High interest rates, um, just a challenging economic times. And our farmers back then made a decision. Our agro-industry made a decision to open up an office in China. So I used that legacy and their hard work to drive yeah. me to keep pushing forward. But how you, were you discussing with your Chinese counterpart when you do not know whether something will definitely happen, but you just try to plant the seeds, and yet at the same time needs to water it, yeah. nourish it, right? So Human to human interaction. I mean, you're based in Washington. What you are working on a lot is the government uh, uh, affairs. So uh, the debate in Washington about the relations with China is an overall picture in which, of course, uh, trade is part of it. Yes. And agriculture is also an important part yes. of that. So how are you trying to shape and make people understand in Washington about the importance that we are talking about today? Yeah, and we, we continue to, to talk with our, again, I've, we, we have our, our, our best voice to our members, the corn and barley and sorghum members in the, in the growing production areas and our agribusiness members, and they, they understand the importance of China as a market. Uh, and so they're very supportive. As we go and as we move into 2024, and it's a big election here in the U.S., yes. and so I think uh, you know, some of the discussions um, will, will continue on, uh, on with, with China, and so I don't know that that's going to go away, but that's, we need to remember that's politics and people are saying things to make sure they stay popular, not so right. much the kind of policies they may want to go through with in the future. So that's, and again, we, we, we just have the faith that agriculture trade is still going to be there and U.S. and China, the two biggest economies in the world, and we need to find a way to continue to work together. So we want to be part of that on the agricultural side of things. Indeed. Brent, you know, uh, there's a lot of competition in the world. Agriculture certainly is one of those areas. Uh, over the past few years, uh, when we do not have that much cooperation uh, as we are doing today, we see uh, Brazil, for example, some of the other agricultural nations are taking the place of uh, the U.S. Uh, product. So how do you remain competitive when you do not have uh, absolute certainty when it comes to politics? How do you as an association? Well, I think in, in you, you never have absolute certainty. There's always something that can happen, but that's where we just go back as an organization you know, the work that Kerry does in Washington, the work that Manny does here. Uh, it, it, it's those human-to-human -human contacts, it's those personal relationships um, that matter, that ultimately are going to be what uh, helps us at the end of the day. So I liken it a little bit to, 
to farming, to be honest with you. Uh, so my slogan for the chairman's year is growing the future. And <laughs> when I was looking at it, and what farmers do and what Manny and Carrie do is, is, is they grow, they, we grow crops, we grow relationships. And it's not just plant the seed and then walk away with it. It's not just the handshake and then walk away from it. It's you have to continue to, to tend that crop from, harp, from planting to harvest. You have to continue to uh, nurture those relationships and, and support those relationships that are that are formed, and, it, and it, that's what it takes. It's that human-to-human -human connection. Indeed. And you are from Kansas. Yes. And you're from Minnesota. And you? Beijing Huko. <laughs> Beijing resident. And I say that. Right. I'm a Beijing resident. I'm a proud Beijing resident. So I say it with pride. Right. Um, I, originally, where are you from? So um, home is Miami, Florida. Yeah. I'm originally from the Caribbean. I was born in a country uh, by the name of the Dominican Republic. And the, now you are a Beijing citizen. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So um, we see a lot of uh, local interactions between the two sides, China and the U.S. Uh, and we also see people to people very active these days. Uh, I was covering, you know, the Flying Tigers and their family members, upcoming Philadelphia Orchestra, you know, these guys are going to come also. At the same time, uh, cities, uh, sister cities uh, as, as well. So how do you see these kinds of, uh, you know, four decades, five decades tested people-to-people bonds? There was a mayor, there was a delegation of U.S. mayors from small small cities in in the U.S. Not the, in California. Yeah, California. Well, well, there's even a group there from uh, the Minnesota, Minnesota, Indiana, Mississippi, Mississippi Tennessee, um, and we've had lots of you know uh, high-level government groups, uh, uh, delegations come. There's a ways to go, but things are, are are looking on the bright side if you as we start to look yes. at all these you know. And, what you're talking about, the flying tiger, tiger um, and that celebration, a 103-year-old pilot who came here. Um, so there's, there's, uh, there is some some sh sunshine coming through these clouds. I think. I see you guys talk to each other quite often. Uh, it seems that you're knowing the whole picture, everything around. Us. Well, we have to. We have to stay connected. Whether you're, you know, you're in in Washington D.C. or you're on a farm yeah. or you're here in Beijing, we have to work. work the bridge together. builder has to be bound we, together. We have to. Yeah. We have to. We yeah. have to maintain the, the integrity of that bridge. Whether there's traffic on that bridge, whether there's uh, raining or storms, but the importance is that that bridge stays intact. Yeah. We need a bridge. See, we are all analogies rich. Today. Yeah. <laughs> Fred, what about for you? So, so. Uh, about uh, you know the people to people local interactions, uh, you know traded uh, relationship. Oh, trade is relationships, and governments are going to trade gonna, is relationships. Trade is relationships. Is, yeah, and, and that and that's what matters. Uh, you know, we heard uh, another analogy. I was in a meeting in Beijing, and it was you know the the U.S. Chinese agricultural trade uh, relationship was described as the ballast stone of the relationship. And that and that really hit home because regardless of what is happening, that relationship that's been developed over 40, 50 years is is stable and it's because we see folks from China coming and visit visiting farms in America. It's because we have farmers coming to China to visit. We're bringing delegations in and it's that that that, that personal connection is where relationships are and what uh, what uh, trade is based on. That actually reminds me, um, two weeks ago, we were all in Iowa. Okay. And we were at a, another ceremony in Iowa 
that was put together by CFNA, but with the support of the, the, the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So there's people on I the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. Who are working really, really hard as well. I mean, we're just one side, but there's many, you know, Chinese nationals that are doing everything within their power to make sure that we maintain an integral relationship. And I, and I wanna, I wanna just express my appreciation of these individuals um, because they're also working really hard. Yeah. And it would have been possible. It would not be possible for us to have these interchanges without their support. We have to go this way so yes. that we can meet. Absolutely. Sometimes we feel strengthened, isn't it? Yes. yes. That we are not alone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We are not alone. Yeah. My talk with members of the U.S. Greens Council present at the CIIE in Shanghai. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of my team here in Shanghai and in Beijing. Bye for now.